Profess Error, the podcast where we celebrate life in academia through the failures we've experienced, not to celebrate the ways in which we fell down, but the ways in which we've gotten back up. In this episode, Brian and I talk about academic freedom, the importance of it, um, and how different events in, say, the political or media realms uh, can impact us as academics. Hopefully enjoy. Well, welcome to Prophet's Error. Today we are uh, talking about a topic that I actually have been kind of looking forward to for a few weeks since we've brainstormed it. Uh, we're talking about sort of academic freedom, and so we are, of course, joined uh, by Brian Franz. So, Brian, how are you doing today? I'm great. Good. This is a, this is a, a topic that I've learned to care about <laughs> Yeah. after having gotten tenure. It's, it's one, too, that when you kind of primed me with a backstory, if I'm being honest, I don't know that I saw it as something I... Not that I didn't care about, but I don't know that it really sort of landed in why it could have some direct impact to to what I do. And I kind of thought, oh, this is interesting. So, yeah, I think when you're on the tenure track, I mean, you're just you got your nose kind of down to the grindstone, right? And you're just trying to produce, produce, produce. And you think "Ah, academic freedom, that's something that it's always been there. It'll always be there. Other people will fight that battle and because you just don't have time to do it. But you know, once you sit down and think about it, well, maybe it is kind of important and definitely worth fighting for. Yeah. I used to have a, a, a mentor. I, I won't say the name, but I don't, I don't think it would be too uh, revealing to say. It sort of joked and said, uh, you can, in academia, you can say whatever you want just as soon as you're tenured. <laughs> you know, until then, like, <laughs> yes. toe the line, you know, do, like, to make, make smart decisions, which I, of course, have uh, reservations about. I, I don't actually know that it was said in a earnest manner i think it was more of like a a kind of jokey but like kind of illustrating a deeper meaning behind it i was like okay yeah. well this is now now i think very relevant to what we're talking about today sure so with academic freedom i feel like maybe it's worth kind of building the case um initially of, of kind of what it is and how maybe the tenure process because i kind of joke i referenced that in the sort of the joke i made um of kind of like how that impacts it so when i think of academic freedom um, I guess I think of it in terms of you have the ability to say what you want, study what you want, explore what you want, draw conclusions that maybe uh, are, are things that you have evidence for but may go counter to certain other mainstream or, or, or even non-mainstream sort of ideologies. Um, and I think especially when it comes to something that there are broadly or widely held ideologies in society this can be a potentially really powerful tool right because i can go out there and i can say turns out the earth really is flat i did some work on it and son of a gun we missed it the thing's flat after all it's not but but you get the idea right if, no, like no, if no. i had compelling evidence for that and i want to say the earth is is flat okay fine i can go publish a paper on it here's my evidence whatever i'm probably going to still have to uh, a heck of a time survive in the peer review process but right. i won't lose a job by by making this, if I have some way of of proving this, I have that as a uh, a theory theoretical yeah. option. Um, that's not what we try to produce, but but that's the idea of it. I feel like that anecdote maybe is a way of illustrating it. 
tenure then I kind of see as more of a you've survived the first few years you've illustrated that you've built a trajectory towards success um, when we look at what you've done in those first five six seven years depending on the the institution it is indicative of a positive trajectory so that will give you this this tenure which is sort of a position for life but but maybe more importantly it's also the freedom to then go explore Right. Those first few years were kind of saying, OK, what can I do that's safe? I need to get my pubs mm -hmm. up. What can I do that's safe? I need to get a grant in the door. So I'll, I'll target mm -hmm. what NSF's targeting or this uh, CII's targeting or whatever institutions are. Mm -hmm. And I have to kind of play the game. After tenure, you still need to produce, but it's also now you get to do it a bit on your terms. So if I say mm -hmm. what I'm really interested in is construction in space and I want to go look at how we're going to build on Mars. That may be a non-traditional direction to go, but that's I can go look at building on Mars, and that can be the thing I pursue, and maybe it's a little unsuccessful for a while, but I'm deeply passionate about it, yeah. and in 20 years, I want to be the construction on Mars guy, whatever, you know. So how's the, how does this square with your, your, the way you would describe it? Yeah, I think, I, think that's, I think that's accurate on the research side, right? I think that um, the freedom to look at topics of your choosing and to disseminate those results without, you know, fear of losing your job. I, I think you made a good point of it doesn't protect you from the judgment sure. that may come from others about your work, right? Others are still free to review your work and tell you that it's scrap and that the earth is round um, and here's why, and you're free to have that debate. And I think that's a key component of, of academic freedom that we can have that debate um, in the way that we do. I think that you know, coming from the University of Florida, we've been in the news a lot um, lately. It also finds its way into the teaching side of, of what we do, um, as well as, as the research component. So I think in the classroom, I mean, academic freedom gives us, you know, the ability to engage in intellectual debates with students without fear of center, censorship or, or reprisal or something. So we can go in and discuss difficult topics with students in a classroom setting in a way that helps them, you know, broaden their perspective or to understand um, ideas in, in different ways, think about different things that they haven't been exposed to. And it's part of the academic process. And so academic freedom is also that ability, I think, yeah, um, to be able to sit down and talk with students. You're not forcing ideas. I mean, I'm not imposing beliefs on them. You're just exposing them to um, these ideas, the philosophies, you know, whether they be political, whether they be religious, whether they be, you know, business philosophy, whatever they are, mm -hmm. just to expose them to it and, and actually have a discussion in a way that, you know, is sometimes uncomfortable. But I think that's a core part of learning is to just see more, know more. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, so so I'm obviously in Arizona. And so um, we, the I think there are some key differences in the way that... Um, those dynamics and those interactions in the classroom work um, like I will say on my side I, I haven't really had a lot of instances where I've had any um, sense of oh I, I can't say this or something like that I've definitely had instances where I say I want to present whatever evidence or, or um, studies in a way that is palatable to a range of people with various various different views um, and I do that less about oh I can't say what I want but more in terms of I don't want to. I don't want people to shut off to the ideas I'm putting out there just on their surface because they say this doesn't align with an ideology that I already am locked into and won't m move from. And so there are some things that I definitely, you know, try to be strategic in how I talk about. And you know, I do 
technology work, someone could theoretically say, oh, some of these tools, you're trying to design people out of a job. I'm not, actually. We desperately need more more people. We don't have them. So it's either use these or we don't get our infrastructure. But you see where I'm going. Like that, yeah, if yeah. not presented in a good light, I, I, I can sort of relate in that way that there are definitely topics that could emerge that I think I could um, turn off a lot of students from even considering. So, so even though, I don't know, it's probably a different circumstance, but a similar outcome. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think, you know, it, it doesn't affect, I think, us as much. I mean, we, I, I teach construction management, and so 99% of, you know, what, what we teach and what we discuss is technical in nature or management practice. Or There's not really controversial, you know, topics that, whether they be politically controversial or, or socially controversial, whatever it might be, that come up. Uh, in those kind of discussions. I mean, there are, there are times where you do have to present somewhat uncomfortable facts or statistics about something, and and that can cause a discussion because not everyone is on board with that. It may not align with what, you know, they know, and that's they're being presented with counter knowledge to what, to what they've held true for maybe a long time, and in that breeds some level of discomfort, which again, I don't think is a bad thing, um, but it, it, it is there. Yeah. And I try to be aware of it to the degree that I can. Yeah, I agree. It's interesting that you say, you know, we, we aren't in a controversial field. I, I guess I agree, certainly compared to some, but it does feel like infrastructure, which is kind of what we're designing and building, is interesting because there are such stark opinions on on many aspects of it sustainability should we be investing more money into uh more renewable energy and um relying less on oil products and petroleum-based you know that, that kind of uh, uh energy sources should we be designing road systems that are more conducive to electric vehicles or autonomous vehicles like it still seems like there's topics out there that are um hot button topics but but not they haven't been as popular in sort of the the news pop culture recently yeah. as certainly Let's like say not his, as targeted, history. right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. And so yeah, I, I would like hate to be a history professor now. That would be. I mean, yeah, not ideal. It, it, yeah. Well, and so so this is part of then maybe maybe let's let's talk about some of the the specifics of kind of what what you've seen there in Florida because I think there are sure. some different patterns that have gone on there that have had a more direct impact on what faculty can and can't say. Um, and then maybe we can kind of talk how this, how this, why this may matter to people in our domain who maybe haven't yet been the prime targets, but why it could still be something that's worthy of our concern. Sure. Oh boy. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's let's go back in time a little bit. Um, <laughs> so, so I don't know. Pretty much seems like every year, uh, University of Florida is in the news for something related to academic freedom. Um, the earliest that I remember is back in. Uh, 2020, um, the university recently added a policy that required us to disclose um, outside interests. Um, so whether it be you know consulting or you know testifying or um, having a business that was outside of your your typical um, nine month appointment, and what that would do is they would re- there would be a a group that would review those outside activities to determine. Um, whether that affected the integrity of the state university or the entity. And I, I think the reason that this was done was there was some, um, 
you know, faculty where information on some kind of highly high profile projects were being sent overseas and oh, it was yeah. sort of information that was so they were concerned about information that was potentially military secrets or something that were being um, you know sent overseas so I think they were interested in what faculty were doing okay so fast forward a little bit um, and UF was in the news because at, at the time there were some laws that were being made to adjust vote by mail practices and ballot drop box locations and things. And a lawsuit was filed against the state um, challenging those new laws. And something like three UF professors were called in to testify and they wrote that on their um, outside activity report. Mm -hmm. They requested permission and they were denied basically with the rationale that uh, them testifying would be a conflict of interest because they were technically a state employee at the university and they would, would have been testifying against the state. Yeah. Um, and they were denied that. And so eventually they fought it on the grounds of, well, no, you know, you're, you're denying our ability as private citizens to give our opinion. You know, this is a freedom that we have. And eventually it was, it was overturned, but not before making a lot of news. Yeah. So that was the first taste of academic freedom and again i was like hmm, okay that's seems kind of niche like i'm not that doesn't really affect me as a assistant professor at the time um so then comes you know a year later and there was a law that was passed um, that basically required universities to survey all of their faculty staff and their students um about their um, the survey was called the Intellectual Freedom and Viewpoint Diversity Survey. So it was essentially trying to gauge the, um, maybe the climate or the culture of uh, the student body and the faculty that worked there. Um, and so the survey goes out and honestly, a, a lot of faculty that I had talked to were somewhat suspicious of the survey and its title because it really seemed like it was created to prove a pre-existing theory, yeah. that theory being that universities are stifling certain viewpoints, conservative viewpoints. Um, and it didn't really seem at the time like a good faith assessment of the classroom climate, which is, I think, what it was being billed as. Um, so as a result, it got a very low response rate, like less than 3% from students and <laughs> less than 10% from faculty. So yeah. uh, not a great, I mean, I remember opening it. So I opened the survey um, to look at it because I was curious as to, because I, I'd write surveys for a living, right? Mm -hmm. With, with what I do with sure. research. So I was, you know, I know good survey practice. Let me, sure. let me open this thing up and see what kinds of questions are being asked here. And, uh, you know, the first handful of them, very reasonable. It was things like, it was a Likert scale, agree, disagree with the following statements and stuff like, I feel like I can express my opinions without fear of reprisal. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. A little basic, but I get it. Yeah. Um, then there was another set of questions that was something more along the lines of, I feel that my students feel that they can express their opinions without fear. And it's like, I don't know the mindset of my students. This is a real, real weird question. Why don't you just ask the students directly? So you're asking me how I think my students think it's it's very disconnected yeah. from what the actual answer would be. Like, if you really want to know what the students think, 
you ask the students, not what I think the students think. It's really, it was get kind of disconnected. It seems very speculative. Uh, for that second half. Right. It, yeah, it made it just, me, I would have had to speculate about what but, my students think. It would have told them more about what I thought than yeah. what the students thought. Plus, it also feels like it would, I mean, anytime I was to ask about what does a group think, like it does feel like you'd homogenize them in a way that, that right. abstracts it to a point of probably not being very true. Maybe broadly having some validity, but with any large group, like the, the quick answer is there's going to be some muddy mix of, they think a right. lot of different things, you know. So I can't say, I can't characterize my class of 100 students of what they think. So that part of the survey was very strange. Um, So it it doesn't really shock me that it didn't get a very high response rate, um, you know, from anyone, from the students or from the faculty. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was also kind of weird. That was the first time when I'm looking at it like, huh, what are they going to do with this data? Um, How is this data going to be used? I mean, if it, again, is a good faith assessment of the classroom climate, fine. Um, if it's going to be used to make some talking point, that feels kind of weird. Um, that That's starting to get into the academic freedom realm of maybe do I need to respond to the survey in a certain way? Yeah. Like, it makes you think, are they going to attach my name to this in some way? Like, it, it, it feel, felt very weird. Yeah. Um, then a year later... Okay. There's another law that comes out um, called, uh, the in, uh, I know what it's called colloquially, but uh, something like the Individual Freedom Act or something. Okay. It, you probably heard it as the Stop Woke Act. That okay. was the colloquial version of it. Um, which, if you read the actual law itself, it's very, you know, it's pretty reasonable. Like it says stuff like, you know, through academic instruction or, or training, you can't suggest or assert that individuals are inherently racist, mm-hmm. for instance, or that an individual is inherently privileged or oppressed based on race or mm-hmm. sex or whatever, um, or that students are responsible for actions that were committed in the past by members of the same race. Like, it's all very reasonable. I haven't, I don't know anyone that would teach that. Yeah that way um but then the actual implementation of it when you see it when it gets translated into sort of university guidelines um there are bits of it that say stuff like instruction that you provide can't cause students to feel guilt anguish or other forms of psychological distress and it's like okay that i don't know i can't control how students feel about information that you know, I'm conveying to them, right? And so that puts it on kind of some shakier ground as to, all right, if I talk about some topic and a student feels uncomfortable, do they then make a complaint against me? And so then it starts to get, this starts to feel like academic freedom may be being, you know, constrained a little bit. If If I'm starting to question whether I talk about something that may be, considered controversial and may make that student uncomfortable i'm sort of censoring myself to say well i don't want this to even be an issue so i'm just gonna leave it out and or gloss over it and not really talk about it and i think that does a disservice to the student when stuff like that happens yeah and that's what worries me the most about it it also seems like for a lot of topics Based on what we said in the earlier part of this, you can't speculate for a group of students, right? Because they probably think a variety of things because it's a great big group of people who are just going to have different views on things. But like, if you if you believe that, 
then like that same philosophy when applied to make sure no one feels uncomfortable sort of feels like the same same thing that may make one comfortable could make another uncomfortable right so so the idea of saying i'll adjust it in a way that makes no one un- it almost seems like that's not really possible maybe for some issues it, it may be but for a lot of things i mean even in our field i talked about earlier you know the technology example one could look at this and say, "You're like my my parents are in a position where they do, or I'm in a position where I do the work that you're trying to automate in some way or expedite in some way. You're trying to design me out of a job, and I feel uncomfortable." Yeah. By the way, that's not my intent, but that do, my intent doesn't mean they also don't have right. the right. Like they have that right to not like what I like, and they have the right to speak up, and they have. Like I kind of tend to think the students should have the same freedom we do, right? Like they should also be able to say, "I don't like this. I don't like what you're doing." But if if it gets to the point where they say, well, one one person's freedom trumps another, that 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 you just you can't say that, right. it would have a pretty big impact. That like for example, in my case, like a lot of what I do might say, oh yeah, we're we're no longer interested in that, you know. Right. So, it just takes it off the table. Right. right. And I think that's. I mean, the only issue that that I mean, when I say self censor, I mean again, this this is like the one percent, like one percent or less of things that I cover in my classes, but. You know, the, the one topic that I, I think does make some students uncomfortable from time to time is, you know, I, I've mentioned this capstone class that I teach. Mm-hmm. I also teach our, our, our junior kind of intro class. And we talk about the feasibility process. And, we, and part of that is we talk about the development process of what it's like to, you know, develop real estate. And you go in and you look at different sites. And those sites are located in different parts of the community. And where they are matters. Where they are affects the cost of that site, how much that that site will sell for. It affects what you might build there because it exists like within the community. There's an intrinsic social component to real estate development that can't be ignored. And with that comes topics of gentrification, zoning, you know, affordable housing, you know, blight. And how do you deal with that? And all of those terms are are very loaded because they just carry this connotation of race and inequality. And and those are all just very uncomfortable topics to discuss for many reasons. Like we have a diverse classroom. So some people are from very, you know, well-off families and they, they never really have experienced, you know, those, those types of communities, those parts of town and, and others come from those parts of town. Yeah. And, and to them, that's all that they've, that's all they've known. Um, and so it's a really hard thing to talk about and without making one of those people, you know, feel uncomfortable or feel like, how did this happen? Or how did we end up with places like this? Or how do we improve this? And it just, it, it happens and it's, it's almost unavoidable. Yeah. If, unless you just completely skip the topic. But if, but even if, but even if you did that, like I think it's yeah, you're I right. Think, then it would be me ignoring to, it, <laughs> right? To, to the other folks yeah. that that are the maybe marginalized or, or if not marginalized, just from from different uh, walks of life that that had different uh, experiences, they may say none of these examples look like where I grew up. Or right. Look, well, then that person has a right to be on. Like, uh, yeah, it it seems like. I don't know. It seems like we need to have a way of separating the sort of the. Is this uncomfortable but beneficial versus mm-hmm. uncomfortable because someone is trying to indoctrinate me into some mm-hmm. ideology or something that is unrelated? The course I signed up for right. unrelated, like something that is is not working in good faith to support the students in their success and whatever that topic domain may be. Right. Uh, but that, what I just said, like 
that's very hard to police. Also. Yeah, like, I, don't, I, I don't, yeah. Like what I'm saying, I where's I the line? I don't I, know exactly, exactly. And so, I, like I remember having discussions with students in the past, um, not in my course because it didn't happen to come up, but in others where you know topics of something like religion would come up, and they'd mm-hmm. say, "I just can't believe they're talking about this in a class." And I found myself sort of saying, I think they have the ability, they should have the right to talk about whatever they want, but I also think they should have sort of a professional obligation mm-hmm. to somehow relate that to whatever the, the matter of the course is, right? So if it, if it comes up and that's a, a topic that's divisive, like in what ways does that advance the topic we came here to talk about per the syllabus or whatever today? Um, and I kind of think that ought to be more of the, the test, but I, I have no idea how you how you police that at scale right you could have anecdotes right. where you say this is a clear infraction or anecdotes where you say i've clearly been someone's in uh, infringed on my right to freedom here but a whole lot of gray area of, well, right. is that okay should they have said that thing i don't know how you police that and and the challenge is um that discussions often they're not on the rails right they're i, I can't I can't plan out exactly how a discussion oh, right. is going to go. Yeah, right? exactly. They can go off the rails yep. real fast, and I, you know, I can try to get us back on. But you know, when students start talking, when they start sharing their experiences, when they start responding to other students, I mean, this thing goes wherever it goes, mm-hmm. right? And I can try to bring back the discussion and to, with some context. Right, try to reframe what's what's all being said to try to link things together for them. But you know, it's really hard when it comes when you're doing a live discussion on something to keep it within some boundaries. Yeah, I, exactly. And there again, like, okay, so there's different routes you could go. You could theoretically create some draconian penalty system where you say if you speak in a way that's not preferred, you go on mute for the rest of the class or whatever. But is that really what we want? Probably no. not, right? Like I'm kind of making a, almost yeah, a yeah. pseudo case that no one would want that. But then the flip side, is it just like whoever's the loudest voice or the majority, everyone can just say what they want. So which really means if you're not the loudest right. voice or there's right. not a bunch of people that share your viewpoint, well, then you're effectively just the wrong one or not, not the wrong one, but you know what I mean? The one that's shut out yeah. and that, yeah. well, that's also not what we want. Okay, well then in between, it does get really murky. Then how do you deal with this? And it, and it also feels like in the same way that we've talked about this with this whole podcast and we're celebrating failure and like the point is how you can learn from it, even in this topic, right? This seems like one where we need, where failure needs to be more on the table, where you can have a discussion, not know exactly where it'll go, allow it to go off the rails a little, work in good faith to get it back to whatever the topic matter was that was genuinely relevant to the course and do your best, but acknowledge, I may, I may have let it go just a minute too long there, whatever. And, and have that be okay as opposed to um, there's now a sanction in place or you're right. going to be uh, removed from your position or whatever whatever the, the penalty would have been for it. Yeah, and, and I think, I mean, yeah, I want to make, make clear. We didn't say it at the beginning, but when we were talking about, you know, academic freedom, we were describing what it is. I mean, it, it is not, you know, the ability to, you know, be incompetent at your job right. and and not have any sort of disciplinary action, right? Or it doesn't exempt you from your responsibilities. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think in anything we've said, we're trying to suggest that, you know, being, exercising academic freedom means, you know, you can do whatever you want. Sure. Like they're definitely, I think it is still our responsibility to, to do it as best we can to, you know, keep it within some boundaries, but to allow those kind of discussions to happen. Yeah. Like I think, I think you're right. I think not having them, not allowing them to happen, just ignoring it out of sort of the safe thing to do 
I think does a disservice to students, but also to, you know, to our profession. Yeah. Yeah. Because by the way, if you look at what companies are saying they want out of students, by and large, a lot of the skill sets are not technical skill set. It's soft Mm -hmm. skills. And it's many of the skills that would be exercised in this kind of debate where you could have opinions on various sides of a debate and both could have some merits, right? We could, we could get both out of the crazy bucket and say both of these actually can be plausible under some circumstances. But yeah, it's sort of like that's an ideal or at least a very good environment uh, for students to develop some of these skills that industry wants. So ignoring it, also not. So this is a rock in a hard place kind of Well, situation. maybe we just need to have a debate class or like a, an argument class where it, it really lets people take different opinions. I don't know. It's funny you said this, and maybe this is something we should do in a different episode. I was actually talking with a colleague somewhere a while back, and they made a suggestion that I thought was brilliant, um, where they had a meeting. This was within a research context, but you'll Mm -hmm. see where I'm going in a second. They brought another faculty in, and they said, I want to debate this paper together. We're going to do it in front of the group, and it's not going to be a personal attack like, Brian, you're a jerk, but it is going to be, you said this in your survey. You uh, have a midpoint on your Likert scale. There's no midpoint you could have. Why are you doing it? And we're going to be like brutally debate, like like on topic matter. Okay. And the point was more to model how you can have an intellectual discussion that doesn't have to devolve into he's crazy, she's crazy, right? We can actually have a, a um, an argument that, that leads to something fruitful. And I actually think what you just suggested, there's something where we model the skill of debating. I'm not actually mm-hmm. talking sort of in the political realm of who gets mm-hmm. the better sure. soundbite, yeah, yeah. but more in the intellectual realm of like, can we get to some meaningful point I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I've never heard I, of someone really like doing. That, I haven't heard of that either, but, but I, I like think, that idea. I think it's good because um, I, I think there's something to be said, like what you just said. That would be an excellent exercise for, you know, training graduate students or training new faculty with how to, you know, respond and deal with criticism that they get, without you know saying, oh, this reviewer just doesn't know what they're talking about. They're clueless. Right. Right, actually having a discussion because what what I've always wanted to do in in one of my classes, and I, I've done it one time with moderate success, but but bring in like a someone from industry and um, just have them talk out loud about their thought process about how they do something. Like for instance, you know, reviewing different subcontractor proposals for a bid. Okay, just so because I think that students you know, maybe don't know or don't don't know how to think about some of these topics. They don't know what's important or we, we, we can tell them what's important, right? We can say, hey, here's what you need to think about when you're doing a, a, a bid or a buyout. And, but until they actually do it or hear, hear someone talk through it, it's the same kind of principle, mm-hmm. I think, where, you know, you're hearing something that normally would occur via, you know, we're writing each other messages or, you know, we're, we're writing to reviewers or it's something that happens like, displaced mm-hmm. from from time but doing it together live kind of gives them the real feel of that back and forth yeah and how to come to sort of this mutual agreement of yeah you're right you know that that midpoint you know wasn't the best to include there mm-hmm. um, we did it because there was limitation because x y and z and you, there's a reason behind why it was there and and what it was there for and maybe just the best way of handling it is acknowledging the limitation that's present in the research and recommending that you know, different things be done if it were to be done again in the future or something. Yeah. It gets away from the, the kind of zero sum game right. mentality of I won. I think that's oh crap. I lost or whatever. And it, yeah. It, yeah. But, but I guess I, I brought that example because it just feels like that's the same. 
intellectual muscle yeah. though that we're kind of getting exactly. at with a lot of these yeah. sensitive issues like even if you say something that I, I doesn't align with whatever my other ideologies or whatever I, I, I maybe this is just because of what we do for a profession but I find that often I still find some value to hearing it because it enables me to repackage why I still mm-hmm. I still think what I think or whatever mm-hmm. um, I think that's a muscle that maybe as academics we 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 work on a lot because I think in the nature of what we do we we struggle and we fail and we get kicked in the face and we have to like change the way we do it and like intellectually we just get beat up so I think it does force a a toughness there uh, I'm not sure that most of the undergrads especially no. have had it I mean new grad students are basically undergrads so they're they're seeing this for the first time but the undergrads I don't know that they see this and so I think that's part of what leads to concern when you have a rule like if anyone is feels right. this well okay but 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 the population that relates to that if anyone is going to be uh highly i don't want to say fragile because i think that's too dismissive a term but like they may not have yet the um experience you know, the or sort of the, the tool yeah. maybe the tools is a better word to sort yeah. of say i can still disagree the same way you have freedom of thought right. they also have freedom of thought they don't have to right. like they, that's okay for them to not like right. it it's even okay for them to be um uh uncomfortable with an idea but but i i do think it's the kind of thing that uh can can be a slippery slope um if mm-hmm. if it turns into you know in our field i can't talk about sustainability or i can't right. talk about um pollution which is a thing that obviously we contribute to or the use of equipment that still relies on uh gas-powered uh, vehicles or diesel-powered vehicles or whatever i mean whatever the, the topic may be there's a ton of things out there that i find myself being like it's okay to look at it and say it's a murky topic like we all a lot of us agree we need infrastructure a lot of us agree it would be nice if we didn't rely on fossil fuels for it mm-hmm. there's a lot of areas that those two those two desires are in opposing directions so it's like all right this is a mur- murky issue that is going to be a little bit tough and there's not a clear good guy bad guy situation so i think the lesson here is that we should be teaching academic freedom to the students maybe right like i think that's what we're getting at here <laughs> Hundred percent. So can I? I'm gonna give an anecdote. I, I don't. Yeah. I hope sure. this isn't inappropriate. I think this is fine. I won't say a name. Uh, I was giving a presentation, so I don't do a lot where I talk about research to my mm-hmm. students. Right. That, that's not hasn't been a focus of of mm-hmm. uh, my course because the vast majority of my undergrads are gonna say I don't care about research. It's not right. what I want. Which is fine. I, that's fine. Like they'll live wonderful lives, contribute to society, have fantastic outcomes in industry. So that's great. Like I'm not. It's not my way to. I'm not, I'm not trying to indoctrinate them to right. Anyway, but I gave one presentation because I kind of said, you know, I think you ought to just know it's an option. If any of you happen to say, I've seen the industry path in life. I like it, but maybe I want to consider other percent. And so we talked about a study that um, we happen to be looking at uh, virtual reality for safety, right? So we're doing this study where we um, allow people to see uh, hazardous events in a very realistic manner. The idea being, might the uh, uh, exposure to something that is realistic, albeit not physically harmful, might that lead to to more long-lasting learning? Okay, that's the thought. And a student made, I thought, just a, a brilliant point, like clearly something that had passion and thought and consideration behind it. Hmm. He said, essentially, I think this is uh, borderline unethical, what you're doing. 
you know, or at least at least a, a likely mistake. He said, like, video games desensitize people to violence. This is just going to desensitize people to um, to uh, construction uh, hazards and make the situation worse. Interesting. And I was like, That's maybe Im- exactly. That was my, that was <laughs> I don't exactly know. my response. <laughs> yeah. Said, okay. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Here's here's the bit that matters. After the class, the student comes up and says, "Hey, I just wanted to say I'm sorry for that." And I was like, that, yeah, you, so for the listener, you just smirked when I said that, right? Or you just gave like a confused, that's the right reaction. Like the yeah. fact that we're telling these students that will be inappropriate, nothing about what he said was a personal attack. Nothing about what he said was, was tonally inappropriate. Like he was there, he was listening. He had a great comment, excellent point. And the reaction is to apologize. And I was like, no, no, I like, yeah. I'm more offended that you apologize than what you said. I was like, you, like, if you are interested in research, you might, yeah. you might be able, this might be for you. you Here's know, like, my number. Right. <laughs> and so I found myself being like, yeah, that's funny. to your response, maybe it is that we actually need to encourage more intellectual yeah. freedom in the same way that there's not seeking us to blindly indoctrinate them to some right. philosophy, nor are we expecting that from them. But, but this kind of healthy debate, like that should be the kind yeah. of environment there. And so that, so I only brought up that anecdote because it seem, seems illustrative of the concern there. Like, I don't know that students know that they can do this by and large, or at least some may. No, no, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, students feel like they're just, I, I can't speak for all of them, but of course, yeah, I yeah, mean, I, I think that there's a general perception of, you know, students come in as, you know, empty vessels and they're just filled up by education, by whatever we tell them. And then, and then they go forth, right? Yeah. But I think that's not the model. That's not, the, the students come in with, you know, their own life experiences. We're, we're exposing them to, you know, some technical information, but then also we're trying to prepare them to be a productive member of the profession, yeah. whether it be, you know, academia or whether it be industry or wherever. Um, and so they need to be participatory in that right in order because it's a back and forth so i i love statement questions like like that story that you told i mean that's that's i, I didn't think of that but that's awesome i yeah. mean that's probably right i mean it could be i could see I, I where actually, that would i happen. doubt it is but that's neither here nor there like i it's it's a worthy point like it was more of just like i good point worth considering you know sure that's part of why we research if i knew the answer i wouldn't have gotten funded for it yeah I mean, that's the beauty of what we do yeah it's interesting yeah yeah and so I guess that's a thing that I, I definitely would like to see improved. I, I think to some of the uh, best situations where we've had discussions that will go off the rails, but in the most fruitful way possible. Mm-hmm. And often the students, again, I, I'm not trying to uh, generalize, but I can think of an inordinately high number of times where the students that are returning students who have done something for some portion of their life between high school and college, those students very frequently bring uh, so much excellent experience into the room. And I think they also often bring a confidence to voice their thoughts because they have um, experience. Um, I, I don't know that we can just fake, fake experience or even that I would advocate that we should for those that are straight through high school and that kind of thing. But still the muscle of kind of getting to, it's okay to, to be wrong. It's okay for you to ask a question or to say, I, I think I disagree with it because of this reason and to, to hear further evidence and say, never mind, I retract my, whatever. Like that, mm-hmm. that dynamic I think has to be um, allowed. And I, 
I do feel like we have not uh, broadly encouraged that. Certainly in lower level. I think in some of the grad courses, I wouldn't make this claim. I think grad courses are better at this of saying, here's a topic, what do you think? And it's less structured and more open to this, so the muscle develops. Undergrad, I mean, for a lot of courses, that's just not incorporated. If we're doing an equation where we're solving for X, then your opinion on who should be in a political office doesn't change what X equals. So we're still solving for X. But then once you get to, yeah, how would you handle your your labor crews there? How would they they feel? Well, you've got two gates here. How does that make them feel if you've got certain types Mm -hmm. of labor crews? I mean, this is the kind of thing now where it's like, this is where that muscle is going to be critical. And probably the one, let's face it, for construction students, they'll be exercising more than solving for X. Yeah. Right, absolutely. And I, I think it's just, it's hard to get them there. I mean, yeah, I, this is, it's really hard to get, I mean, even when I try to sort of have some discussions where, you know, I'll, I'll ask a question and the student will answer it and it won't be exactly the answer that I'm looking for, but I'm interested to know why they think that. Yeah. And so I will just, I'll ask them, okay, why, why do you think that? And listen to their thought process and their, their sort of how they got from, you know, the question to to that particular answer and often i think it's kind of enlightening to hear um it it may not it may be based on some inaccurate information somewhere along the way that that but then you can kind of quickly identify what that is and and talk about that a bit more even that even i feel like even that's a small thing but it's such a critical step of like how did you get there right go in with curiosity rather than judgment if you go in saying "Hmm, wouldn't have landed there how does that work as opposed to wouldn't have landed there. That's stupid. I mean, if I go <laughs> yeah. in with the outcome defined, yeah. like they, they have nowhere to, like I've given them no right. opportunity to right. present it in a non-stupid way because I've already put them in this category. If instead I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's, it's, you know, hippy-dippy, but it's like a loving solution. Not that I have to love what they said, but mm-hmm. but see them as a, a human and allow that to come right. out. That's That at least you have a chance of solving the thing. If you go in dismissively, right and you've already written them off and they're going to have no choice but to equally it, it makes right. it easier for them to write you off as crazy too well and and it, it, at that point you're kind of locking them into that one solution right like yeah. so they're basically saying oh okay my line of thought was not correct so i guess what's your line of thought because i'll just get on board with that yeah. and i think that works against academic freedom right i mean that's the opposite i don't i don't want you to just right. parrot what i'm telling you i want you i'm trying to give you tools to think about it right and come up with your own answer because I don't know, my perspective is one thing and then there's other perspectives that could equally work as long as you can explain it and justify it and rationalize it. Then, you know, maybe there's something there. I feel like this is a challenge that we have maybe has always existed, by the way, I might be illustrating my own inexperience here, but it seems that it at least still is a challenge that exists very much today where students, if you tell them, I want you to be critical thinkers, I want you to be good communicators. I want you to be able to hear someone's uh, opinion, actually mm-hmm. consider it and respond in an intellectual way. I think all of them would be like, en masse, yes, we need this skill. This is mm-hmm. a thing that there's not enough of in, in daily life. Right. There's just not enough out there. But if I ask them individually, for you, Joe Schmo, whatever, person A, I say, what skill do you need for, for success? And I ask them all individually, I'm guessing none of them would say, I need better critical thought and I need better... Mm-hmm. Like there is a level of... of confidence that for some reason like mm-hmm. they all, we, it seems that individually we know well, I'm, I'm good at that but you all collectively you all are bad right. and this is part of then the the well, I think what leads to this kind of challenge if we know this environment is good for them but some of the students don't know it's good for them in that moment and so 
I mean, that leads to other issues of either people being checked out or dismissive of the activity or feeling like my voice isn't heard. So what's the point or whatever. And then the whole thing, yeah, falls apart as well. Yeah, I'm not. So I, I think I'm not good at, at creating sort of activities that I think do that well. I mean, I, I feel like the bigger the group, the harder that is. Yeah. Because like you say, like, you know, you're going to get it's the, the group discussions are going to be dominated by certain people. A couple. Yeah. And then other people are going to feel like they can't talk. So maybe the, the solution is sort of smaller little pods and then reporting back to larger ones, kind of like you're doing a workshop where, you know, have three or four people sit down and talk about something and then report out to the larger group what they think. Maybe. I I, we, we do an activity like that in my course where it's a, it's actually a fun thing. I really like it. It's a kind of an innovative thing where the students have to pitch some ideas, almost like the TV show Shark Tank um, in small groups. Um, and I get overwhelmingly positive feedback in hindsight from students and from industry yeah. and overwhelmingly negative feedback from students. <laughs> this is a lot of stress. I don't want to do it. Like, because, yeah. And if any, talk about uncomfortable. Talk yeah. about teaching that almost Designed all of them are way. uncomfortable. Yeah. No, it's of course not. I mean, yeah, there's no, there's no ideology associated with right. that discomfort. But nearly all say, I didn't feel comfortable with this. I didn't feel prepared. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel... Okay. That, like I, I find myself saying, I think I'm working in good faith to do what I believe is right for you, but I get to be the bad guy in this one and you're not going to like me for it. And I think that's a, a f- I, I think that's the right way to exercise freedom in this case, yeah. but they don't like it. So I know yeah, that no, I think not a popular one. That's good. So maybe let's talk then a little more sort of back in our, our sort of academic freedom and sort of some of the challenges that are associated with it. Like what, what is, what about the job, you know, uh, or I guess what about academic freedom sort of do you find being uh, intrinsic to your, your love of the job and that kind of thing? Because for me, like I'll, I'll say, I, 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 when I was an undergrad, I wanted to own my own company. That was my vision mm-hmm. in life. I really thought it'd be fun to work for myself and not have a boss. I would argue I don't really have a boss at the moment. I mean, I do yeah. on paper, but in terms of like, what do I have to do today? What's, what is all my task list? My, my department head, you know, or, or school director in our case, um, I mean, he's a, a fantastic individual. I, I love working with him, but he doesn't, he doesn't dictate what I have to do in right. a given time. Yeah, not day I get, to day. I get to yeah. pick it. And that sure. is something that just, I feel like for me means the world, right? Because if, I, if yeah. I looked at this more transactionally of I'll do whatever you say, boss, and then I have the list of things I have to do then very quickly I'm going to lose joy in that. And very quickly I'm going to start looking at what's the number on the paycheck? Could I get a better number elsewhere? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think this is a topic that at least for me, I don't, I, um, I think you have kind of your, some of the anecdotes you gave about what's going on there, you know, sort of helped to, uh, highlight some of why I think it's something I shouldn't be taking for granted. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, you don't do, I don't think you do academia for the money no. per se. Like all the students are like, you know, why'd you go to academia? Like what, what? Why don't you stay in industry? Would you be making more money in industry? Yes, sure. yes, I would. A lot more, sure. maybe double, right? Um, but you definitely don't go into academia for, for the money, and you, you go into it because you you like what you do. Like you either enjoy the research a lot or you you like, you know, instructing the, the next generation of, of construction managers or whatever it might be. Um, but you're right. I think the freedom that comes with it, the academic freedom, not, not just the time, right? Like the time is, is one thing, but, you know, being able to, you know, decide what you think is important and what you think deserves more research and, and how you can 
you know, help prepare students for, for the industry. I think that's the really appealing part of the job. Yeah. And I just, I had no sense of that on the tenure track because I just wasn't thinking at that level. I was thinking at the production level of get stuff done yeah. because I have to have a certain amount of things on my packet in order to get through this process. And I was just taking academic freedom completely for granted. Yeah. And now I realize that it's super critical to the job. I think I did too. And even though like beyond just like the intrinsic joy that I find for what I do, I think it's even leads to better outputs. Like because I get to pick what I want, like that study on, mm-hmm. you could probably even hear if you rewound it to my tone, that study on virtual reality for safety. Mm-hmm. I'm not faking interest. I think it's really cool. Like what we're doing <laughs> is making a super realistic video game that maybe also saves lives. I mean, it, like I don't have to fake enthusiasm for it. That will lead to me putting in more effort, putting in more hours, putting in more mentorship to the students, taking more time. Like, it, it, it's a it's such a win all around that I think even that bit of it I sort of took for granted as well. Of well, I'm not tenured you know, early on. I might have said, well, I'm not tenured yet. I have to put in the hours. I can just do what it takes to blah blah blah. Sure. And now I get to be like, no, I get to do it because I love the thing, right? Like that's the process that's quite joyful, and it leads to then. I can pretty quickly, when I put in extra effort, I can get a sense of which students really care about this. Well, then those are the students that I'm going to fund, right? And I bring in um, different students who are a better fit for the project and better serve the the grant that was federally funded and better put outputs. Like it's it's a win all around. And part of then what also goes with this, I, I think, to conversations I've had with other friends and colleagues in industry. Um, especially when it's more coffee talk kind of conversations, and we'll talk about things like what are you going to do in retirement, all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of them have a plan. And if you ask me, I kind of never want to retire. The idea of doing mm-hmm. nothing actually I find to be terrifying. Whereas I think yep. for some people, if it, especially if it's a more transactional nature, if you love what you do, this doesn't apply. But if it's a more transactional type position, I think people are ready to retire. Well, I got five more mm-hmm. years, 10 more years, whatever. you know. And so I, this idea of uh, joy and finding intrinsic value to the job, I think is very closely aligned if not part and parcel with academic freedom with you get to do what you want like what 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 better way could there be to find joy than saying yeah you can do whatever you want i mean there's a certain parameters but pretty wide wide array of options say you kind of get to pick whatever you want so hypothetically right if if the university were to come in and say okay we're we're infringing on academic freedom somewhat. So you can no longer talk about X, Y, and Z in the classroom and, you know, research can't be on whatever, right? How, how quickly would you lose interest? Yeah. I mean, is that, is that something where that would be a deal breaker for you? Where you'd be like, "Hmm, okay, this is no longer, I no longer get joy out of this. So I feel like uh, this is where I'm illustrating my own, weakness and limitation i feel like some of that is happening for for faculty in some fields yeah. and that kind sure. of thing it hasn't happened to be mine yet so so i'm i i feel like if it was i'd have no choice but to be like well then i'm leaving i'm going elsewhere right. but I, I do this is part of what's making me kind of rethink how i look at academic freedom now like i I've been lucky that what I do isn't on the chopping block at the moment. Right, it's not. But it's not far away. Like, right, as soon as not. you get someone It's on says, the list. It's just not at the top of the list. Right, because as soon as you get someone saying, yeah. you're designing people out of work, which is yeah. not what I'm doing, but someone could see it that way. Or as soon as... I mean, there's, you don't have to change too many elements in the narrative to make probably any of our work look controversial and, and uh, problematic. 
if I didn't have academic free, if I had a person, if I felt like I didn't have academic freedom, I think I'd get out. Yeah. I mean, I just don't, I think that is the thing. Like right, the, pay- the paycheck away. is enough that you don't have to yeah. worry about money, but you're not getting super wealthy, right? Yeah. The, the workload is enough that you have time to do a thing you like, but it's, it's not like you're just taking vacations all like it. Right. The point being like the, the thing that keeps me more than probably anything else, I think is probably the freedom and, and maybe the tenure is part of that because it's security that goes along with that mm-hmm. freedom. Sort of, is it the carrot or the stick, right? It's the, right. the carrot of freedom and the stick of security. But, but it does feel like, yeah, I don't think I would stay. Would you? Um, again, this is, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there of, you know, it, it's hard to answer because again, it doesn't affect a lot of what I do yet. Like again, there are certain fields, if you were teaching history or something, God, you are just in the cross sites, crosshairs right now on, you know, a political firestorm, right? And so, you know, you, you would probably feel like, man, I can't, this isn't worth it anymore to me. Like I can, you know, do something else, maybe get a job in industry and not have to take, you know, all of this extra scrutiny or, you know, criticism or whatever from people who don't, who aren't academics or who aren't teachers. And you feel like, what the heck, what am I doing? Um, but I, you know, if it does come to, to our program, if it does come to our program in a way that says, no, you can't talk about X, Y, or Z. Um, I think that that would be a problem for me. I, I don't know that I, it's, it's so hard to imagine. Um, but I, I do think that academic freedom is something that, you know, would might be a deal breaker for so me. Maybe ask more of like, is there any aspect of your job that is more like intrinsically rewarding to why you keep doing the thing you do than it? Because like, as I think about it, I, I really can't think of anything else that, right. you know, is the perk. I mean, the only, only other thing I could think of would be a sort of the, 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 the schedule freedom or some of the time freedom of, you know, you can sort of work to your own pace, but then I look at industry and, you know, people are doing work from home and weird yeah, well, arrangements and they're sort of doing that anyway too. <laughs> right. And I'm looking, hmm, looking at that saying, hmm, what? Yeah. Well, so yeah, maybe you're right. If academic freedom goes, then there's really no benefit to, or no, you know, driver to stay in academic. So. Yeah. I, 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 I hope it doesn't, but we shall see. I, I hope felt it doesn't very, get very fortunate so. that, yeah, I don't think, I don't think anything, uh, I haven't heard anything like that, at least as it relates to what, what we do here, um, which is a very selfish comment to make, by the way, because that's not my way of saying it doesn't exist. I'm, I'm aware that it does, but, but that's, uh, we're talking about our own experiences, so it's been you know, part of what's influenced it. But I mean, seeing it affect others, right? Yeah. again, has made me more interested in the topic, has made me more aware of the topic, has made me want to fight for it, so that hopefully it doesn't ever you know, find its way throughout you know, all of what we do. Yeah. Any other items you want to uh, cover about or, or share moving forward or anything like that? I think that's pretty good. I mean, I'm, I'm by far not an expert on academic no. freedom. I am still <laughs> learning with the best of them because as I said, I did not care for seven years and now I really care. Yeah. So still sort of learning it um, as we go, but I think it's something that should be on everyone's radar. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you suggested chat about. It. I still I, I think this is a good uh, good venue for it. So thanks. 
Hopefully you all as listeners got uh, one or two things out of this, or maybe you've got some good disagreements that you can share with us and we can uh, learn and, and, you know, again, learn through our errors in terms of celebrating failure and uh, get better in how we see things. So with that, thank you for your time. We will catch you on the next episode of Prophecy Error.